Folks, it's Tuesday, January 19th. This is the macro setup. Dan Nathan Gayadami, shortly before the open here in the U.S. markets. We are the macro setup, brought to you by our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing Forex dealers in North America. By the way, we have a special guest in a little while, but we'll share that with you later. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing great, Guy. Got a lot going on here. I mean, last week was, was a week, in, at least in the equity markets, where investors started to contemplate um, a lot of the last couple of months' actions and what a lot of policy implications kind of meant. We saw a little digestion in the equity markets. We're starting to see some volatility again across a lot of different risk assets. As a lot of the things that we've been talking about on the show over the last few months, um, a lot of these um, kind of macro indicators are kind of hitting some very interesting levels here. Um, what is your take? We got, we got, you know, binomics, let's call it, mm -hmm. right? And, um, you know, a lot of some of the policies that we saw um, under the Obama administration, which took over during the height of the global financial crisis, right, where things were pretty far out of whack, um, it looks pretty similar to what the Biden administration is coming to in the year 2021. What is your take on, let's say, some of the pronouncements from soon-to-be Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, obviously former Fed chair, what they're having to say, what they're talking about as far as fiscal stimulus, what Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, is continually talking about as far as um, the interest rate policy and what their views are inflation. Wrap it all up for us. What are we going to expect under the Biden administration and some of these um, economic policy people? Yeah, well, you know, I don't like the saying, but go big or go home. And I think that's what you heard from Janet Yellen over the last couple of days. I mean, she keeps talking about the want for a strong dollar and a strong dollar policy here in the United States. But she's also said flat out that, you know what, it's time for more and we have to be more aggressive than we originally thought. And I think, again, it goes back to my thesis all along. That's going to be very negative for the U.S. dollar, although you have seen a bit of a bounce in the dollar. We'll talk about that later. And what does it mean for interest rates? You know, here we have the interest rates, 10-year yields moved up to 1.18% at a certain point last week. They've par pared back a bit, but that's something I think we have to watch as well. A falling dollar on the back of rising rates, to me, is not a healthy situation. And you mentioned it. I think the market is taking its cues from the notion that there's going to be more stimulus, more Fed action, and you have Janet Yellen in Treasury, which is sort of... Um, the triumvirate, as they say. So the market seemed to love it. Last week was a bit of a risk off. Today, market seems to be bolstered, at least uh, as we approach the open. But again, I'm not certain it's going to hold. And we're going to talk about a number of reasons why that is, Dan. Yeah. So when you see, you know, our friend Peter Bookbar, who's uh, been a guest on the macro setup in the past, a CBC contributor from Blinkley Advisors, he likes to post a lot of sentiment indicators this morning. He sent out an email with the city panic euphoria um, index. He's basically saying it is off the charts. That is relates to um, equities. What, what is your take when you see these sentiment readings? Um, and, and is it like do you start to see these things mount up a little bit and you start saying to yourself, okay, I got to start paying attention here. And maybe that's what happened with the equity markets. We're going to hit some, we're going to hit some of the um, charts in a couple minutes here, but just what's your take on the sentiment readings? And then I want to talk about, um, you know, just some of the issues as it relates to valuation, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, you look at this chart and, and we're about to double over a two week period in terms of this city, city group uh, panic euphoria model. I mean, that's un, it's really unheard of in terms of how fast it's moved and where we are in terms of levels. It's, to me, it's extraordinarily scary, but I think it harkens back to something that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. The Fed, the fact that Jerome Powell came out, and I'm paraphrasing here, Dan, so forgive me, 
but basically said in this interest rate environment, valuations really don't matter. And I think that's yeah. what the market's taking its cues from. And I think that's why you see this euphoria level probably headed towards that you know, 2.2, 2.3 levels that we haven't seen. I don't, I don't want to say ever because I don't know that, but clearly yeah. over the last few years. And the fact that it's going to have doubled in the two-week period is, again, it's just part and parcel as to everything we've seen going on in terms of the market looking past all the headwinds and just focusing on one thing. And that one thing is stimulus and the fact that the Fed's balance sheet has now doubled over the last year, year and a half. Yeah. So you just mentioned valuations. You mentioned Jerome Powell's comment about valuations and their fear of kind of um, inflation stoking kind of risk asset bubbles. There was an interesting article in Barron's over the weekend. They were talking about, I think we have this slide right here. They're talking about valuations. They're talking about the equity risk premium. You see that the yield, the earnings yield on the average S&P stock minus the yield of the 10-year uh, treasury note is roughly 3.2%. Um, they're saying the lower the premium, the more value, uh, highly valued stocks are. I mean, it's just kind of another way to kind of highlight relative to interest rates and what that means for um, equity valuations. Again, putting all this stuff together, you start saying to yourself, okay, what does it mean for stocks? Let's get into uh, some of the stock charts right here. Real quickly, the S&P six-month chart guy, you see this um, uptrend that I've kind of drawn here. It's obviously been pretty well-defined. You see when it really started to break out above that um, prior high in September 2nd, the S&P 500. That was on the Pfizer vaccine news on that mm -hmm. November 9th. Um, it had a huge gap, failed, but it's kind of held that uptrend um, so you have the lines there, you know, no matter whether you're bearish or bullish, you know what to kind of trade against here, right? Um, when it gets to the upper end of that band, you might be able to fade it. We're kind of right in the middle of it right here. Um, but I'm not certain you want to be buying this dip if it were to go below that short term uptrend. What's your take there? I think that's exactly right. And, you know, obviously, with each passing day, these levels get higher and higher, given the fact that this is an uptrend, right? I mean, that's just sort of technical stuff, the Carter Worth stuff. But I'll say this, I think you drew a great uptrend over the last three months, and it's spot in the middle of it now, at this, you know, let's call it 3800 level, the upper end of that range is probably going to come in either side of 3900. I think the lower end is, is very well defined, comes in around 3700. Again, I'll say that you know, as the VIX pairs back down to this 21 and a half, 22 level, you're getting into the deep end of the pool. And it's going to be fascinating on this day over the next couple of days to see how the market reacts to any goings on potentially not only in Washington, D.C., but across the country. So, again, going back to that article you just posted on from Barron's, yeah. the fact that they're saying a correction is coming, not that Barron's is any great indicator, but then you overlay yeah. that with the city uh, panic euphoria thing. And then I'll mention one other. The fact that now uh, market cap of the S&P 500 over GDP is at, at about-ish, close to 190%. You have forward earnings in the S&P 500 approaching 23 times. I mean, just all things that historically would make you sort of take, take pause and, and, and take a look at these things and say, wait a second, you know, something's got to give here. And I think we're on yep. the precipice of it. But wait, you know, I'll say that, Dan, but I've thought that for quite some time now. Well, it's fine. Let, let's go to the S let's go to the one year <laughs> chart though. Let's go to the one year chart really quickly of the S and P five hundred. I drew a line from the prior all time high before the pandemic crash um, in February. You attach it to the September second high, the November 9th vaccine. Um, high that I just mentioned, that becomes, that was resistance, that becomes support. That support is like 37, 18 or so in the S&P 500. You talk about if you were to have a, a kind of 
run of the run of the mill um, correction, maybe about 10%, that might get you back to those early November lows. You see that rising 200 day moving average is about 3,300 or so. So, you know, we're about 400 points away from that. Let's go to the NASDAQ 100. La- uh, last week, I called this the NDX chart. I think I called it the hungry alligator. Yeah, um, you did. Look at this the, one year. I did, something ridiculous. I, did, I, did. I mean, something ridiculous. But let, let me just let me just lay out what this chart means to me. You see that short term uptrend from about mid-November. You see the breakout above the September 2nd highs, new all-time highs there. So we're kind of testing that uptrend a little bit. Draw a line, a horizontal line from that November, early November low, and you get about um, 11,000, right, in the NDX. It also happens to be the 200-day moving average there. So if you were to get a correction from these current levels, 12,800, you might see 11,000 again, you know, about a 10, 11% pull back to me. That level looks really interesting. I'm going to just quickly flash over to this F MAGA uh, market cap chart. What is that? That's Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. We know they're about $7 trillion in market cap. We know they're about 45% of the NASDAQ 100. Look at that one. That's really interesting. Never made a new high from that September 2nd high. So you see the biggest stocks in the market correcting over time here. I think on average, probably down about 6-7% from those September 2nd highs here. So keep an eye on that. What's your take on the NASDAQ 100? We bring it up because obviously those top five names make up what 13, 14% of the S&P 500, but 40, almost 50% of the NASDAQ 100. Yeah. Well, we talked about last week in the macro setup that was brought by Nadex is the fact that the NASDAQ now was, I think, close to 19% above its 200-day moving average, which again is alarming. But what you mentioned in terms of this market cap, and it's funny, you know, you talk about it topping out in September, Oddly enough, that's sort of when Facebook topped out and probably the same time that Amazon topped out. And obviously, those two stocks have been in the crosshairs recently for a lot of different reasons. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens, especially with Facebook into earnings late next week. That's something that I'm absolutely keeping my eye on just in terms of getting granular. Not that I'm looking to trade the stock, but I happen to think there's going to be one of the most fascinating, not only earning releases, but the subsequent price action after. Obviously, Facebook has really since making an all-time high in September of about 303 has underperformed. So I think in terms of this chart, Dan, what it tells me is, you know, you have a couple of these names that might be telling you something going into their releases uh, later this month and early next month. But with that said, again, these things are overextended without question. And historically, between 19% above a 200-day moving average, you're going to have some reversion of the mean in terms of the NASDAQ. And I think, again, we're on the precipice of that. Yeah, you say 19% uh, above the 200-day moving average. Let's go to the Russell 2000 chart. This is the chart of the small caps. We know um, you know, they just took off um, after the election here. The, the hope was just kind of uh, more fiscal stimulus and, and really more aid to some of the hardest-hit groups um, from the pandemic. Those are financials. Those are energies. Those are some industrials. They make up a good percentage of the, of the Russell 2000. Look at that move. You see the 200-day moving average at 1561. You see the, t- the Russell... Um, at 2100, you do the math, that's about 40% um, a rise um, mm-hmm. from those November lows, 35, 36% above that 200 day moving average. So we know why that outperformance is happening. And they're obviously seeing a rotation out of mega cap tech. You mentioned the VIX guy. Here's a two year chart. We look at that breakout level from February before the market crashed. You see that move above uh, 20 or so, 21. 
Uh, 22 was kind of the high for most of 2019. Um, for all of 2020, uh, if you look at that, starting from those February um, breakout, you know, 21 was the low here. So we're sitting on support. Um, I know you want to keep a close eye on that. Let's talk quickly about the VIX before we hit uh, yields. What I'll tell you is, and I know you know this, Dan, since obviously beginning of last year, 2020, that 21, 21 and a half level has been support. And by the way, every time it's traded down there, pretty much has been a short-term top in terms of the equity markets. Now, as the equity market today, we stand basically around all-time highs. I understand that the market's just gone higher, but you know, you've had four or five periods of time where that VIX trading down to 21 has given you a huge opportunity to maybe take profits in stocks or trade things from the short side. And again, I think we're there again, 21 and a half, 22 in the VIX. And I say this as well, you've seen two times over the last three or four weeks where we've come in and the VIX has gone from 21 and a half to 30 in a straight line on days of really little or no consequence in terms of the broader market. And that speaks to me at least that the VIX is on a hair trigger as is the broader market. So as we get down to this 21 and a half, 22 level, I think you need to keep a keen eye on broader markets for any indication that things are about to turn, Dan. All right, so Guy, let's go to yields here. We had a really good conversation. You know, Guy, you guys like looking at me and Guy on the video here, but Guy and I just launched with our friend Danny Moses, who was a guest on the Nadex um, version of uh, the macro setup a few weeks ago, a new podcast called On the Tape, find it in your podcast stores. Guy mentioned that he thinks that, um, you know, interest rates here in the U.S. are probably the most important thing going as it relates to all risk assets. We have um, a one-year um, chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. It just broke out above one. You've been calling for higher rates. It's held this nice uptrend for about 50 bips in August. Um, what are you seeing on the near term uh, just as far as the charts? How would you be playing this? And then we have a 10-year that I think is really fascinating. Let's hit these pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the 10-year is going to be very fascinating. But in terms of what this says, think about it. Rates, 10-year yields in this country have more than doubled since August. Think about that, more than doubled. That is, again, it's not historic because we saw moves like that earlier in 2020, but bond volatility to me is very concerning and bond volatility typically leads to equity volatility. And in terms of bond yields going higher, there are a lot of people that would say that's indicative of an economy that's strengthening. Maybe that's the case. I'm not certain that is. I think what it's indicative of is the fact that inflation is here and it's also coming. And we're going to go, in my opinion, and test up to that 1.4 level. And I think the lines that you just drew are in the case, to me, are indicative of where we're headed, Dan. Yeah, and that, to me, I just draw that. That's a 10-year chart in the U.S. Uh, 10-year Treasury yield, and I just think it's interesting. Back in 2012, 1.4, 2016, 1.4, the breakdown there that we had um, last year, um, that was pretty significant, um, you know, and I just think that you might see some alarm bells. So what does that mean for the dollar? You said that Yellen um, has been saying that they want to see a strong dollar but every rally gets sold. You've been all over that trade on the macro setup for months. You've been selling, selling, sell every rally. We have a one-year chart right here. Um, you see where you lay into this thing. Our guest who's coming up in just a minute or two um, is going to have a lot to say on these currency crosses, but I wanted to get your quick uh, take on the U.S. dollar, the Dixie here. Listen, we saw a bounce in the U.S. dollar. I think you were waiting for that bounce and we saw it, but again, it goes back to something I've said for a while. Every bounce seems to be shorter and shorter lived and less and less vociferous to the upside. And I think that's what you're seeing now. And although Janet Yellen can talk about the want for a stronger dollar, her comments and her actions are two entirely different things. And I think that's true as well 
with Jerome Powell. And I do think you have a Fed meeting, not this week, but next week as well, which will also be fascinating. So although the dollar has bounced over the last couple of weeks, these bounces have been short-lived. And this extraordinarily steep downtrend line since uh, early in 2020 is absolutely still intact. And I'll stand by this. You know, I think you're going to see a significant move to the downside in the dollar in the first couple of months. I understand that's consensus, but I think this is a great time to bring in our guests who we've had on before on the macro setup, Peter Hanks. Peter does a great job. He's a strategist for Daily FX, and he's with us now. Peter, you heard this conversation. Let's just start with the U.S. dollar. You know, what are your thoughts here as we head into the inauguration tomorrow? Well, Guy, I think I'm on exactly the same page as you. Uh, dollar weakness really just seems to be the name of the game right now. Uh, everything that Biden has really expressed uh, his want to do and Yellen uh, and Powell as well just speaks to further USD weakness. And I think there are a few different crosses you can look at, but really at uh, DXY here, 91 looking to be some early resistance where you could potentially over a super shorter time frame, uh, look for, you know, another continuation lower. But uh, yeah, really to your point, I think dollar weakness is the name of the game. So Peter, great to have you back, bud. Um, happy New Year. Um, you, we were just speaking to that one-year chart. You obviously see, and I know that last time you were you were on, you were saying you lay into that thing again. You relay shorts at 92 in the Dixie. It doesn't look like we're going to get back there. The, the rallies are getting kind of narrower and narrower. We have a 10-year chart of the Dixie before we get to your crosses. And you know the line that I drew from that 2010 high um, which obviously was a massive breakout in 2014. Then in 2018, we tested that level and held, and we had a nice rally here. So we're almost there again. I think that's about 88. How do you trade this thing? Do you, do you keep selling rallies and playing for a retest of that 88-ish and, and a break? And then where would you look to take profits on that trade? Yeah, so I think you do keep selling rallies, uh, small Shorter term pops, get in on yep. those, look to, uh, you know, get a little bit of gravy on the way down. Yep. As far as 88 is considered, uh, I would like to see a little bit of a confirmation, uh, a, a more confident break beneath that level. And then you really hit it hard and look to get in on that larger breakout uh, if it does unfold. And that's where, you know, once 88 is gone, the next major area of support is not until maybe 85. Um, yeah. And that's... That's quite a long ways. Yeah. Hey, so so real quickly, so we've said this a couple times now that it seems to be a sort of consensus view. What would be a couple of headlines that you'd be looking for that might kind of change the sentiment towards this weak dollar trade? Uh, well, I think you have to watch the Fed, first of all. Um, any indication that Powell or other members are becoming a little bit more hesitant to uh, let inflation overrun that 2% target. If they start talking that down and maybe because of that move a little bit more to the hawkish side, I think that's a very good early indicator that, okay, maybe the Fed isn't going to be quite as accommodative. And that could, I think we've seen that already over the last two weeks or so, that could create some of those shorter term pops. Uh, but if we start to get a real consistent across the Fed board, uh, you know, unwillingness to run above 2%, I think that would be uh, a early warning signal, basically. I, so, and I know you have a very interesting view on uh, U.S. dollar Canada, and we have a chart. We talked about this, I believe, the last time you were with us, and things are obviously happening now. Can you speak in terms of the cross that you're looking at, specifically U.S. dollar Canada? 
Yeah. So with Dollar CAD, last time we talked about it as kind of a proxy to the energy trade, which was uh, that big rotation from large tech into some of the smaller cap energies and, and things of that nature. Uh, Dollar CAD, big, big correlation with crude oil. So since we've seen a little bit of a breakout in crude oil and in the uh, ETF as well, XLE and the Russell, Dollar CAD has been one of the uh, weaker dollar crosses in my eyes, and I think that weakness is set to continue. So there's some macro uh, tailwinds there apart from just the weakness of the dollar. And I, I like that going forward as well. Uh, another pair yet again where these dollar pops can just be uh, sold pretty quickly and pretty aggressively. You know, Peter, so, so we talk about, you know, the dollar and we talk about these crosses, but then, you know, obviously, you know, one way that a lot of investors like to play dollar strength, dollar weakness is through gold. Um, you know, gold has not acted the way a lot of people thought it might have <laughs> during this period here um, w- with the dollar weakness. What's your take on that? What are some what are some of the things you're hearing from other, let's say, uh, market participants, um, you know, clients, that sort of thing? Are they a bit frustrated? And do you think it has anything to do with the Bitcoin and its tremendous rally and ability to hold that rally? Are we seeing some form of like changing of the guard as people think about um, what a store of value is going forward? And that maybe is a bit theoretical. But when you look at that XAU chart of gold, you see that it's just been in this tremendous downtrend from those August highs. And then just, again, it seems that like a, a, a flip of the switch here. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and personally, it's been uh, rather frustrating. I was a gold bull last time we were on, I believe. And, uh, yeah. you know, the, the fundamental cases really line up quite nicely. A uh, hedge against inflation, safe, stable store of value, all those things. We're just not seeing that. And technically, uh, when we look at the chart here, we're just getting a series of lower highs and lower lows. And to me, that is just a clear cut downtrend. Uh, so I am off the gold train for the time being. As far as Bitcoin as a replacement, uh, I'm, not, I'm not super confident that this weakness in gold is due to fund managers moving their money into Bitcoin uh, as a replacement. I do think over the last few weeks, a potentially more aggressive competitor would be U.S. Treasuries, uh, because now there is an alternative to get some of that risk-free yield. Gold by itself actually does not have any yield unless it appreciates. So when you're getting 1.1, 1.2% from a risk-free U.S. Treasury, it's kind of a no-brainer if you're trying to balance your portfolio a little bit. So that's uh, what I would point to over the last few weeks as a more strong competitor rather than Bitcoin. The non-interest bearing asset argument. I love it, Peter. In the last couple of minutes, we have dollar euro. I know a lot of people at IG are looking at this. You know, what are your thoughts as we close things out? Yeah, with euro dollar, uh, very much similar to dollar CAD in some ways. Uh, again, every time we get a little bit of dollar strength on the table, I think the euro is another good opportunity to look for some uh, topside continuation. However, We have been getting reports just this morning. uh, I believe Germany agreed to continue lockdowns until February 14th. So there might be some, you know, headwinds there for the euro. But over the over the longer term, uh, euro strength still seems to be on the table. And uh, in terms of breakout trades, I think uh, recent levels above recent resistance, if we can break above that, 
uh, again, green light, looking to continue higher. Well, Peter, I want to thank you for your time. You can read Peter's work, Daily FX Strategist. Peter does amazing work. He's been with us twice now. He'll be back with us again. Dan, in the last few minutes, any closing thoughts here? Yeah, so I listen, you know, we started out by talking about unusually positive sentiment. We hit a bunch of different things as it relates to equities, as it relates to uh, valuations. I think Bitcoin fits right in there. Um, we don't get too granular on, on this podcast about individual stocks, but you're seeing it in things like Tesla. It just seems there's a tremendous risk appetite. And it seems like investors are not paying a whole heck of a lot of attention or not too worried about um, rising interest rates. You, I think kind of um, laid it out pretty well that they don't matter until they do, right? Right now, it's reflective of the economy supposedly getting better, further fiscal stimulus, easy monetary policy. The problem that we have right now is that we have a disastrous vaccine rollout right now. And Peter just mentioned that we're seeing, even in Europe, maybe where they're doing better on the vaccine rollout, um, they're still going aggressively on mitigation attempts. What does that mean for economic growth? Um, does it really pull forward or has it pulled forward um, a bunch of activity um, that might not come back a little bit. Um, and we're starting to see it in some of the data here in the U.S., some of the consumer data. We saw that jobs number um, last week or um, so the continuing claims number, that sort of thing. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um, we're at a pretty perilous time, I think, for the pace of the economic recovery. We're seeing um, really good data out of China, which is kind of have a lot of people scratching their head a little bit. Um, so to me, equities, I think you're probably ripe for a 5 to 10% pullback in the next couple of months. Um, and I think it's bought as long as the Fed um, remains very accommodative. Yeah, and I'll end this by saying keep your eye on interest rates, folks. I think that's the key. This year, I think, of 2021, that's going to be the focus in the U.S. dollar as well. You know where I stand, Dan. I know where you stand, Dan, Nathan. I also want to thank Peter Hanks from Daily FX, the strategist there, does amazing work. And I want to thank our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest-growing Forex dealers in North America. Dan, Nathan, you demand. Thanks, Guy.